chapter sixteen of a woman of yesterday this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit librivox dot org a woman of yesterday by caroline atwater mason chapter sixteen for the most part people do not think at all they have little phrases and formulas which stand in their minds for thoughts and opinions and they repeat them parrot-like most of their notions and ideas and prejudices are mere extraneous secretions barnacled on to them by men and books in their passage through life as shells are on a vessel but not growing out of them or really belonging to them anonymous life in her creaking shoes goes and more formal grows a round of calls and cues w e henley at the end of the week on saturday morning anna burgess was sitting on a low stool in the middle of her bedroom surrounded by a curious confusion and medley of miscellaneous things before her was an open cedar chest of large proportions its pungent odour was mingled with the spicy smell of winter apples dried fruits and maple sugar from the half-unpacked chest quilts of calico patchwork and soft home-woven blankets were overflowing piles of snowy linen sheets and pillowcases finely hemstitched and bordered with delicate threadwork lay about the floor together with body linen of equal daintiness and books in dull and faded binding while the red apples rolled everywhere studded the confused array as commas do a printer's page in the chest still lay some old-fashioned furs and other clothing anna as she sat had her lap heaped with a quantity of yellowed lace and a number of small thin silver spoons she was reading a letter and as she read unconsciously tears were running down her cheeks you must have known wrote gulielma malison that i could not let my dear daughter go empty-handed to her new home the box has been long however in being made ready but i know your husband and his mother will make excuses the marriage having been so sudden lucia and i have taken comfort in sorting out and preparing the things the linen is much of it what was left of my own bridal outfit but we have bleached it on the snow and it is still strong the silver i've tried to divide equally among you all this is your portion the little porger you know came over from germany with my mother then that jungfrau benigna lombrosius i regret that i am unable to provide you with more dresses etc but there is little to do with and little to choose from in haran indeed i hardly ever get to haran any more my rheumatism is so bad and the going has been terrible this winter we got lucia's husband's sister to buy the white cotton cloth and sent it back by joseph when he went down with a load of wood the brown cloak i shall not be likely to need any more 
going out so seldom and lucia says she doesn't begrudge it to you at all being much too long for her and it would be a shame to cut off any of that material to waste you know it is the best of camlet cloth and there is nowhere out to it i've given lucia the melodeon and she says it is only fair that you should have the cloak and the brown silk dress we got amanda turner to make that over for you by an old waist we had of yours she was here three days right through the worst snowstorm we have had all winter and there was nothing to interrupt us we turned the silk and made it all over i think we succeeded pretty well i thought you really ought to have one silk dress now you are going to live in this country of course you'll be invited out to tea some there in fulham the grey merino will do for afternoons i made you four aprons too white and too checked to wear about your work and you'll need them afternoons for taking care of your husband's mother please give her my best respects i send the dried fruit to her maybe it will tempt her appetite a little and part of the maple sugar that in the little cakes lucia ran it for her especially we thought maybe they wouldn't have it down there in fulham that was pure i'm sorry we haven't anything better to send mr burgess but i put in your dear father's quilted dressing-gown is my particular present his health being so poor lucia and i thought it might be acceptable the books are for him from your father's library the letter dropped in anna's lap and covering her face with both hands she burst into passionate tears her old life in all its homely simple sweetness called her mightily and the sharp sense of her own separation from it now and forever tore her heart her mother's inability to comprehend the new conditions the eager self-sacrifice which had gladly shorn her own poor life bare of every lingering superfluity of possession that she might equip her child with such small dower as was attainable had to anna a pathos which seemed almost too poignant to endure how well oh how well she understood the planning and contriving the simple joy in each small new object gained the delight which her mother and lucia had shared in picturing to themselves her own grateful surprise in the manifold treasures stored in the dear old chest itself an heirloom of impressive value in the malison family and she was grateful beyond words to tell and pleased and proud to come thus set out to her husband and yet these possessions so unspeakably precious to her would she knew only too well where elastic and incongruous aspect in the burgess household she knew that keith and his mother would be gentle and respectful in thought as in word but she knew the faint embarrassment which they would try to conceal in receiving gifts for which they would have no use she knew the delicate half-pitying well-meaning sympathy which could never understand try as it would on sunday morning anna attended church with her husband and his mother for the first time the latter making a great effort since church-going was far beyond her usual invalid routine when anna presented herself in the hall ready to start mrs burgess or madame burgess as she was generally styled after this time had bit her lip and almost gasped such was her amazement and dismay however she had said nothing the situation being plainly hopeless and she sat in the carriage in speechless anxiety 
while keith's face reflected the same emotion he had felt it impossible to interfere with anna's arraying herself as she had for church seeing with his sensitive perception that the garments fashioned and sent her from her home by the hands of her mother and sister for such a time as this were in her eyes sacredly beyond criticism or cavil anna now preceded him following his mother down the broad aisle of the stately and well-filled church drawing to herself unconscious of the attention of many eyes she wore over the soft overshot silk round the brown camlet cloak which had formed in her mother's eyes the chief glory of her simple trousseau it was a long circular cape falling to the hem of her dress drawn up about the throat and shoulders with quaint smocking after a forgotten art and tied with a long loose bow of changeable brown ribbon the outlines of this garment were so simple and so natural that it could never at any period or by any shift of fashion become awkward but it had at that time an effect of puritan-like quaintness she wore a dark broad-brimmed hat with falling plumes according well in simplicity as in colour with her cloak as she passed down to the burgess pew her height and bearing the flowing outline of her costume the purity and unconscious childlike seriousness of her face with its clear broom pallor the steady light of her hazel eyes the lustreless masses of her dark hair all combined to make a singular impression of mediaeval loveliness of something rare and fine and wholly distinct from the prevalent type of women in the ambitious little city there were some who seeing her smiled and whispered at the quaintness of her dress there were others who found their eyes irresistibly drawn again and again by the picturesque harmony of her figure there were one or two persons who watching the proud pure severity of her face as she sat with her soul lifted to god and heedless of outward things saw in her a woman fit for reverence and wonder one whose spirit had been most evidently nourished on the greatness and simplicity of spiritual realities and who was yet untouched by the world's slow stain and so it came about that keith burgess and his mother had been dismayed at the lack of conformity to fashion in anna's dress at the first appearance in their world found themselves met the service over by men and women who had admiration and interest sober and sincere to express and much to say a sight of the singular distinction the aristocratic dignity and charm of the bride madame burgess was not slow to produce the good points of anna's ancestry of which she had quickly possessed herself thus enhancing the favourable impression and she was ready to accept anna cloak and all herself when the son of one of fulham's leading men pierce everett an artist newly returned from paris came to her with a respectful but eager wish that mrs keith burgess would at some future day grant him the notable favour of sitting to him for some saint's face and figure there was a little crowd about them as they passed out to their carriage and much kind and deferential courtesy pressing upon anna's notice a group of young girls on the church steps watched her with shy awed glances and murmured to each other that they adored her she was so different from any bride they had ever seen she was grave and quiet and something of pathos and mystery seemed to remove her far from the conscious fluttering pink and white brides of their experience the young artist pierce everett joined a friend 
a professor of literature in the local university nathan ward as he walked away from the church what a study for a saint he exclaimed with enthusiasm i did not suppose there was such a woman left in the world where can she have been saved up to keep that super earthly look professor ward smiled after a silence he said here's a conundrum if it is sunday why is keith burgess like st francis of assisi the answer not being forthcoming professor ward presently volunteered it because he has espoused poverty chastity and obedience in mrs keith's these three are one fulham was a small city with a college of no great reputation which called itself a university by reason of having a divinity school affiliated furthermore it was a seaboard town and had had a large shipping trade in former years now slowly dying a natural death the aristocratic circle of fulham there was but one was as definitely marked and as strongly defended from invasion as it is possible for such a circle to be even in an old new england town in fact it existed more obviously for its own defence and preservation from the ineligible than for any other reason and only two classes of citizens were eligible namely those who had some connection with the university and those who inherited either poverty or riches from ancestors engaged in foreign commerce these two agreed in one and agreed to rule out all others thus the aristocratic circle was necessarily small and its social functions painfully mechanical and monotonous its maidens were proverbially lacking in personal charms and its young men with rare exceptions fled escaping to more interesting and varied scenes but it was supremely satisfied rejoiced in the distinction of its unattainable exclusiveness and looked with cold and unrelenting disfavour upon all strangers newcomers or fellow-citizens however meritorious who failed to possess the sole claims to its ranks madame burgess enjoyed a double title to membership in this exclusive circle her fathers before her for several generations had been shipowners residing in the house now her own to which her husband the reverend elon burgess had come as an eminently suitable adjunct upon their marriage mr burgess had filled a minor chair in the divinity school for the ten years of their married life he had not filled even this particularly well being a man of small calibre lacking in any trace of original power or talent but his name was in the university catalogue and hence his place in the ranks of fulham's high social circle safe for ever but although of limited ability professor burgess was fine of grain and fine of habit and sincerely pious in a day when to be called pious did not awaken a smile in the fear and faith of god and in true humility he had lived and died leaving perhaps no very large and irreparable vacancy and no overwhelming sense of loss or desolation even to his wife and son and still having borne without reproach the fine old name of gentleman as a girl sarah keith had given satisfactory evidence of a change of heart and in a time of profound missionary awakening she had declared herself strongly in sympathy with foreign missions to the position thus taken she had consistently adhered all boards and auxiliaries to which she was available claimed her name on their lists missionary literature was always scattered abundantly in her library her gifts were large and her allegiance to religious interests was so completely taken for granted that it would no more 
have been questioned in fulham than her place in its aristocracy certainly she never doubted herself that she was essentially a religious woman nevertheless religion whether personal or in its outreaching toward a world which she would have unhesitatingly called lost consisted for her now in a series of mechanical observances and in tenacious orthodoxy of opinion it had become a dry husk enclosing a dead seed the brief blossoming of the religious impulse of her young years over she had fixed her affections on the small adventitious trappings of this transitory life and denied unconsciously the power of that other life the form of which she so punctiliously maintained her invalidism was becoming not inconvenient on the whole and not wholly imaginary such was the woman who was now by the ordering of providence to rule and direct the unfoldings of anna's early womanhood since keith burgess cherished a respect and submission to his mother which would have found something akin in chinese ancestor worship he had reproduced in his own young life his mother's early missionary fervour that it was long dead in her case he did not suspect with keith this experience had received a strong accent from the temper of his college life and from the possibility of an actual dedication of himself to the missionary vocation it had thus become as we have seen for a time nobly and completely dominant with him the strongest passion his life had known he was himself surprised to find on his reaction from the crisis of loss and disappointment connected with his illness and the abandonment of a missionary career how natural and on the whole how satisfactory it was to settle back into his own place in his old home to fall back into the small comfortable interests of fulham and to find full soon an aspect of unreality and even of incongruity clothing his former ardent dream not so anna the ordered precision the formal stiff monotony repeated day after day in her husband's home the cold conventional courtesies the absence of any purpose save to maintain things in existing form without progress or alteration for a time exerted upon her an almost paralyzing effect a torpid dullness of physical oppression came upon her when shut up alone to the companionship of madame burgess against which she found it impossible to struggle successfully accustomed to serious mental work to much strenuous bodily labour to the wholesome severity of long walks in all weathers and more than all to the stimulus of a great immediate purpose ennobling every homeliest task in smallest service the present life of inaction of sluggish ease of absence of responsibility of the motive or purpose was like the life of a prison a heavy spiritless apathy overbore every motion to fresh endeavour or to new hopes and incitements she fluttered and failed for breath and at times her heart seemed bursting with this longing the old wild girlish longing grown still and deep for freedom and for power with mechanical indifference she accompanied madame burgess on her daily drives paid and received visits shopped and attended the various prescribed social functions read aloud to keith and made a feint of embroidery the great ottoman cover which her mother-in-law had contrived for her leisure it was a stag's head with impossible square eyes the head partially surrounded by a half wreath of oak leaves and acorns staring out of an illimitable field of small red stitches numberless as the sands of the seashore and significant anna thought wearily of her endless monotonous hours 
all the while just below the surface repeated through the long days was the bitter conflict of her spirit her perpetual unanswered questioning why had god thus dealt with her why with all power to save or heal had he permitted the illness to come upon keith which had thus brought to naught what she had supposed was the very and sacred purpose of her creation upon the intensity of youth and the nature of profound and passionate earnestness this thwarting of her dedicated purpose this apparent rejection of herself from the service of god worked piteous havoc anna did not grow sullen or rebellious but she felt her whole interior life to be in hopeless confusion her sense of an immediate and personal relation to a fatherly god had suffered something like an earthquake shock all the high faith the sacred and filial purpose the profound self-dedication of her girlhood seemed to have been flung aside by the god whom she had sought to know and serve with cold blank indifference without sign or suggestion of pity of love or of amends the god of whom mrs westervelt had taught her a conception which she had gradually absorbed and assimilated as her own a god closer than breathing nearer than hands and feet to whom the heart was never lifted in vain whose presence could be indubitably felt and known who answered every holy and devout prayer of his children and who led them immediately in every thought and action where was he either he existed only in imagination or she was herself rejected by him as unworthy and in a depth below the depth of burning grief she saw her father likewise despised and rejected a great protest honest and indignant rose up in anna's heart she knew that as far as mortal man could be holy and harmless in the eyes of his god her father had been and she knew that her own purposes had been blameless and sincere she refused to quibble with herself in regard to these facts something staunch and sturdy in her mental constitution not obstinacy not pride but sheer inward honesty refused to seek accommodation in any forced paroxysm of humility or blind submission with a sorrow which a lighter nature could not have comprehended but with characteristic conclusiveness she said to herself the stress of her inward conflict spent i do not know god and composed her spirit in silence to wait at the end of a month keith returned to his class in the massachusetts divinity school with which he was to graduate in june immediately thereafter he expected to enter upon the duties of his missionary secretaryship and make his home in fulham with his wife and mother thrown thus upon the sole companionship of madame burgess and forced either to make the best of the situation or to appear the crude undisciplined provincial who sullenly refuses to adapt herself to new conditions and his native good sense came to her rescue with strong will she crowded down her mental conflict while with conscientious earnestness she addressed herself to the duty of making herself a cheerful and sympathetic companion to her husband's mother and of filling the social position in which she was undeniably placed however inscrutable the reasons therefore new influences came out to meet and win her on every side and she responded with a social grace and even facility which amazed all who had seen her first as the cold pale silent girl whose marriage altar had seemed rather an altar of sacrifice an effect of singular charm was produced by this new mental attitude the opening out of a nature until now so closely sealed 
the native seriousness the fine direct simplicity of annie's girlhood remained but they seemed flooded with a new and warmer light welcome as daily sunshine while the hardness the rigour and the severity melted away she submitted without further protest to the comparative luxury of her surroundings found it surprisingly agreeable and discovered a fresh forgotten joy in simple physical existence which carried her bravely through the long dull days of the burgess order of life notwithstanding all these things below the surface of her life often below the surface of her thought lay an unplumbed depth of spiritual loneliness a sense of double orphanhood a voice which cried and would not be stilled for while men and women had come near of god she had become shy feeling toward him as toward a dearest friend grown cold but one night as she lay alone and wakeful tears painful not easily flowing wetting her pillow a sudden thought stung her by its throbbing wonder and delight seeming great enough to reconcile all things even god who had filled her with bitterness and hedged her about in all her ways she said to herself it may be i shall have a child in the deep places of her nature called to each other in joy and exultation and she knew that if this grace should be given her all would yet be clear and she could still believe in god's love and in his purpose in her life so blindly groping through the rough and thorny way by which humanity has sought god through many ages this human soul sincere and humble perpetuated the heart-breaking fallacy of conditioning the divine love the eternal power and godhead on the small mutations of her own life seen at short range End of chapter sixteen